Welcome to the final show in which I've been meeting entrepreneurs from the Block Dojo Incubator Programme in London. On the day of their final showcase presentation to an audience of potential investors, today I'm meeting the founder of a startup that plans to help big businesses track carbon emissions more accurately. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Amy Bow wants to use her 20 years experience in the energy industry to help businesses achieve a more accurate assessment of the carbon emissions of products they are buying and selling. Her GHG Blaze is a blockchain platform based on actual data rather than estimates. So GHG Blaze is a product as a service for commodity traders that helps them to measure and manage the emissions associated with their trading portfolio by leveraging blockchain to capture actual data on the emissions associated with individual cargoes of commodity product and trace them down the value chain. So what kind of commodities are we talking about? So I'm initially starting out by focusing on crude and oil products. However, the same solution could apply to other emissions-intensive commodities such as steel and aluminium, and of course, natural gas, which is a close um, byproduct or associated product with oil. And why do they need this information about carbon? So really, it's for three purposes, two of which are regulatory and one of which is more commercial. I guess, you know, the first is really around disclosures. So companies are under an increasing pressure to disclose their emissions. And whereas those disclosures have been voluntary, Starting from this year in the UK, next year in the EU, and there are other jurisdictions around the world that are also putting in place similar regulation, these disclosures are going to become mandatory. And they extend to what is known as scope three emissions, which are the indirect emissions associated with companies' supply chains. So, you know, traders, that basically means that they need to account for not just their own direct emissions, but all of the emissions associated with effect- effectively their counterparties within the value chains. When we're talking about traders, are we talking about people in the city of London who are just sort of buying and selling stuff to, to make uh, a quick no. profit? So we're referring to um, the physical commodity trades. So, so actually so- people buying a bunch of oil or gas exactly, or whatever it is. Exactly. Purchases and sales of physical commodity products. Right. So that's, that's sort of the first use case that, you know, as these disclosures become mandatory, there's a much greater legal liability associated with their accuracy. The second measure, which is also regulatory, relates to um, adoption of carbon border adjustment mechanisms like the one in the EU, which will effectively place a tax on the emissions of imported products. So in order to know what tax they're going to need to pay on any imports, they have to know the emissions associated with those. And the third use case, which is commercial, is that there's increasing demand for lower carbon products. And that could be in the form of what they call carbon neutral products, or also just, um, you know, an emerging demand to buy lower carbon commodity products. But to meet that demand, you have to know what the emissions are associated with the products you're selling. So how is this information collected at the moment? And how is your solution going to improve on that? Yeah. So to be honest, um, there's a lack of this information at the moment. Uh, So a lot of companies aren't yet collecting it. Um, Those that are trying to collect it um, could be doing it in a variety of different fashions. So there are some um, modeled emissions estimates that are on the market, but 
those again. They're just guessing, really. Exactly. They're guessing. Um, you can't say for certain that those are accurate. Um, so it's not meeting the needs in terms of the accuracy required. Some companies are similarly using standard emissions factors, but those also are effectively estimates. And there's massive ranges of emissions intensity depending on where a product is coming from. So those average emissions factors don't capture that variation. In some cases, companies are trying to collect it from their counterparties. Um, but in many cases, they're, they're sort of struggling to do that due to a sort of lack of priority uh, on the part of their counterparties. It sounds like you're going to have to send teams of people out around the world measuring things and that it could be a very expensive operation to collect this data. Well, so we're not actually planning to do the measurement ourselves. Um, the fact is that most companies do have a good understanding of their own emissions. So the data exists. It's just a question about surfacing and collecting that data. And, you know, as I mentioned, some companies are trying to do this for themselves in terms of chasing down their suppliers. But obviously, that's time and resource intensive for these companies. Um, GHD Blaze would effectively be providing a centralized and standardized solution that everybody could supply the data into, and then the relevant parties can also extract it out. So it helps take away that inefficiency from those companies. Just going to mention for anyone who hadn't worked it out, as I hadn't until I examined your website, that GHG is greenhouse gases. It is. That's correct. Yeah, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> yes. So how does the business model here work? Who is paying who for this, for your service? Yeah. So we have three different revenue streams. Sort of majority of the revenue um, we're really expecting to come from subscription agreements. So companies with an interest in seeing this data for themselves will pay an annual subscription fee to access that data. So that would be potentially somebody who's buying a, a commodity. Um, or selling, right? Because then they need to know downstream what's happening with that product that they've sold as well. Why do they need to know what happens to it after it's off their hands? Uh, again, it all comes back to the definition of scope three emissions. There are 15 different categories of scope three emissions, and two of them relate to emissions that happen upstream from you. So if you are buying a product, you also need to account for the emissions associated with extracting it, for mm -hmm. instance, or whoever handled it before you received it. But then there's another category that deals with downstream emissions and all the emissions associated with the product once you sell it Right. On. So they're trying to discourage people for, from creating a product that causes all sorts of emissions once it gets into customers' hands, I guess. Yeah, or they at least sort of want companies to, one, be aware of these, account for these, provide visibility into that. And once you have that awareness, it then enables companies to make decisions about how they manage those supply chains. Right. The second um, revenue stream, and it, it actually, it, it requires sort of explaining another feature of the model. Um, so, you know, as I, as I mentioned some companies are trying to get this data already from their suppliers just by requesting it. Um, but, you know, it falls down in priority for those companies in terms of responding to those requests. Or some companies may be reticent to supply that data. So one way that GHG Blaze is addressing this is uh, that via tokenization, blockchain allows the market, and the market in this case being uh, sort of the users within the ecosystem of GHG Blaze, 
to assign a value to every single emissions data point based on the perceived uh, need for that data or value for that data. And this allows the market to then pay companies effectively to supply this and create an incentive to provide the data in that so way. Can you sort of turn that into a concrete example so we can just get our heads around it? What's, what sort of a data point might we be talking about and yeah, who might sure. be buying it? So, for instance, if I am, a, let's say, a commodity trading house like Trafigura, and I was buying um, oil from Nigeria's National Petroleum Corporation, and I wanted to know what the emissions were associated with that oil. With extracting it. With extracting it, exactly. As an incentive for NNPC to provide me with that data, I could say, okay, you know, this the emissions figure that's associated with that cargo of 600,000 barrels that, you know, you sold me is really, really important to me. So I am going to pay you, let's say, this is completely theoretically, yeah. I have no idea how the market might actually right. value this, but let's say a thousand, a thousand pounds for you to give me this data. That would, again, through the platform, effectively allow Trafigura to pay an NPC to get access to that emissions data point and therefore get it in a more timely fashion than perhaps they otherwise might if there were no sort of incentive attached to it. What kind of granularity would the person selling this data be able to get down to in order to make it more reliable for the person buying it so that they really could have accountability yeah. of the total final figure, as it were. And so it is a, for that individual cargo. So it's not NNPC as a corporation. It's not for the entirety of the oil or gas field that may have produced that crude. Mm. It's for that individual cargo. This, but in this how case. would the person buying the data know that the, the person who's given the number yeah. Hasn't just made it up. Yeah, no. So within the data that we're um, sort of collecting from companies, we're using a standardized template. Um, that template asks for information on you know, the volume of emissions that's associated with it, as well as the volume of the product. It asks the companies to provide the methodology that they used to calculate those emissions, the date on which the calculations were performed, whether or not that data has been verified or audited. And if it has been verified or audited, the name of the auditor or the verifier. So this effectively provides an indication of the credibility around that. And because all of this data is being captured um, you know, on the blockchain and therefore creating an immutable record of it, it does allow um, for later somebody to come back and audit that if they wanted. Right. Well, you're, you already know a lot about this sector. You've got experience in it. How much does blockchain technology that you just mentioned help with this problem? I mean, is it essential? I know you're on this, the Dojo program, which is all yeah. about blockchain. Yeah. Uh, is blockchain really going to be a game changer in this, do you think? So I actually spent about nine months um, kind of really debating and, you know, having conversations with people around what the right type of technical platform was to enable this. Um, because in my mind, from the beginning, blockchain made sense in terms of the traceability that it provides, um, particularly in a system where there is a lack of trust. 
And of course, the global commodities market, and it's not one market, right? There's multiple commodities, but any one of them, there is effectively a lack of trust between counterparties. So for me, blockchain sort of made sense from the very beginning. But of course, there are a lot of blockchain skeptics uh, in the world. And so I had a lot of people challenge me on that. And, you know, after sort of nine months of conversations and further considering the matter, um, I, I did conclude that I do think that this is a really viable use of blockchain. And if it were just the collection of the data, you could probably collect that centrally. Uh, when you're introducing some of these elements, though, around the tokenization and trying to effectively create a market for emissions data, this is where I think the blockchain really becomes essential and differentiator compared to what you could create in a centralized database. Because you can always go back and check dates and and that something was recorded at the time that the person is claiming it was recorded, that kind of thing. Is that... I mean, certainly the immutability aspects, I think, are, are valuable. But I, again, sort of when it comes down to these incentive payments and having effectively creating a market through tokenization, that can't be done with a centralized database. Yeah. What kind of a business operation do you have to have within your startup to create this platform? And how, how far have you got with that? Yeah. So we are, we're pre-product, pre-revenue, pre-product. Uh, and the money that I'm sort of seeking to raise by launching the pre-seed funding round will be spent principally to hire a development team to build an MVP effectively. So, um, you know, we are, we have a preference probably to, to hire internally for that team. We are looking at options as well to, you know, potentially contract or outsource some parts of it, uh, particularly maybe the blockchain piece. But there is a preference to hire our own development team and hold that IP in-house. And from your contact and experience in this field, um, and how confident are you that when you've got this product ready, you're going to be able to sort of draw people into using it? So I've already started having early conversations um, with six of the largest players within the crude and oil products trading space. Um, I've had sort of expressions of interest from at least three of those to participate as a development partner or in some form of pilot um, testing. Because these are some of the largest organizations within um, the sector, they have you know thousands of other counterparties. So if they are adopting this solution, they're then in a really good position uh, effectively to encourage others to adopt the system as well. And of course, I'll be continuing to expand those conversations myself to others um, within the industry. I mean, this is all about initially, at least the oil companies yeah. and the environment. Yeah. Just, just from an outsider's perspective, I'd like to ask whether you think the oil companies are actually in any way concerned about these questions of carbon emissions or something? Or is it? are they simply doing what they have to do and what they think it looks good in their shareholders' eyes to do? I think it's a really good question. And I think that the answer to that question probably depends on the company that you're talking about. Yeah, and the person within it probably and as well. And the person within it, yeah. I mean... Uh, but, you know, in terms of kind of corporate cultures and approaches, I think there are companies that genuinely want to be at the forefront of responding to the climate challenge. 
and recognize the industry's responsibility to act and help to lead the transition. And there are other companies, um, you know, that don't see this as a significant priority yet, or they're doing it, as you say, because they understand that they need to do something or they're under pressure to do something from their shareholders or financiers. It's a really a, a broad spectrum. And what about your own motivation as an entrepreneur? Is, is that a mixture of business and social purpose as well? It's primarily social purpose. So for me, this is my passion. So again, I've devoted kind of the last 15 years of my career um, to helping the industry identify climate risks within their own businesses and appropriately respond to them, think about how they're going to manage that transition to a lower carbon future to remain relevant as the world decarbonizes. Like oil and, and gas um, in particular, but the same could be said for any of the other commodities to which this could apply. Um, and some of them even more so as the energy transition unfolds. But you know, these are such essential commodities for the global economy that how we manage this transition is really important. And I firmly believe that energy companies can be and need to be part of that solution. And, you know, I'm working with them over the past, you know, 15 years. Um, I believe that they want to be as well. And they, and they see that. So for me, this is sort of an extension and continuation of what I've been doing with my career so far and really helping in a fundamental way, the world decarbonize. I mean, in the past few months, there's, and at the moment, there's such kind of frightening examples of extreme climate, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's going to have a material effect on your business and, and people's understanding of this? It's a good question. Um, I mean, it does seem, seemingly with every passing year, that there are more and more visible uh, examples of the impact of climate change um, that are affecting people's everyday lives and people within the developing world for the majority of our, you know, um, fossil fuel resources are being consumed. Um, so you would hope that as people's own lives are touched by these events, They'll begin to recognize their own responsibility in terms of, you know, changing behaviors around energy consumption that would start to reduce demand for these resources. But I don't know, people have an, in, an incredible way to sort of explain away the evidence if they don't want to believe it. And yeah. of course, the people who already believe it, it just adds to their belief. But, and you um, kind of, to say. <laughs> I, I think the sort of scary thing is that it's so easy to kind of get used to the idea that temperatures are now much higher than they used to be. Whereas when, when that first appeared on the scene, you thought, oh my God, maybe next year, same temperatures, we'll just think, oh, well, that's kind of what it is these days. And Yeah. And I suppose, you know, again, to the extent that the people being affected are living kind of in Western economies. They're in economies where they're probably better adapted to survive that, right? Because they live in areas where there's already air conditioning or have access to air conditioning. Um, and they've just got more money. You. Whereas if you look at other parts of the world um, that might also be experiencing some of these climactic extremes, 
they're less able to adapt. Mm -hmm. And it's really those parts of the world that unfortunately are going to be worst impacted by these changes. Amy, I hope that your business can contribute to to this problem and uh, really good luck with it. And thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you for your time. I've appreciated it. Thanks very much to Amy Bowe and to all the other entrepreneurs I've met in the previous weeks. And the best of luck to them all with turning their amazing business ideas into reality. Next week, I'll be hearing how IBM is using the BSV blockchain. So please join me for that. And until then, thanks for listening. And from me, Charles Miller, goodbye.